Welcome back to What Happens Next, the podcast that examines some of the biggest challenges facing our world and asks the experts, what will happen if we don't change? And what can we do to create a better future? I'm Dr. Susan Carland. Keep listening to find out what happens next. We definitely have more distraction in our life and we can feel like our attention is being grabbed. Uh, in Australia, there are probably between 850,000 and a million people with ADHD. So this sort of overload of notifications, not just on the computer, but on your smartphone that's sitting on the desk, this is wrenching the attention all over the place. It's kind of like when you're sitting down to watch Netflix or something like that. You're flipping through and you just it takes you an hour and a half to decide what to watch because there are so many choices. In a world where we are constantly bombarded with a torrent of endless images, email alerts, text messages, and all sorts of distractions, thanks mainly to our digital devices, one question keeps raising its head. Are we losing our focus? Hang on, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, that's right, focus. In this episode, we are focusing on focus. Is our ability to pay attention collapsing? Is there anything we can do to improve our attention span and ability to focus? Why has there been a recent uptick in ADHD diagnoses amongst adults? We speak to experts who have dedicated their careers researching focus and attention, whether that be through the study of mindfulness, neurological science, or through the contemplative teachings of Buddhism. Our guests in this series will also give us some tips on how we can help improve our focus. So if you're still with me at this point and haven't been distracted by your phone or laptop, try and pay attention as we take a look at focus on what happens next. Now, where was I? Focusing our mind on the present is a core principle of mindfulness. Our next guest, Professor Craig Hassad, has been studying mindfulness since before it was cool. An expert in this field for many years, I wanted to find out how mindfulness can help us focus. Hi, my name's Craig Hassad and I'm the Director of Education at the Monash Centre for Consciousness and Contemplative Studies. also work in the Faculty of Medicine and coordinate the mindfulness programs around Monash. Craig, welcome. Nice to be here. When we're not paying attention, when our mind does start to wander, what's actually going on? Well, we go into a a mode that's called default mode. There's a default mode network. Perhaps one way you could think of it is these are like the imagination circuits in your brain. But when we're not mindful, we've wandered into that mode without even realising that we've done it. So your partner's talking and you're kind of looking, but all of a sudden you realise you're not hearing a word of what they're saying because you're rerunning something that happened during the day or worrying about something tomorrow. So this sort of default mode is kind of like a distracted mode of mind. Um, When it's really not working for us, the imagination circuits are flapping in the wind, as it were. But we're taking imagination to be real. 
So when we're anxious, for example, about a future event, you've got a presentation to give, you've got a meeting, got an interview, you've got an exam. So there we are, we could be sitting in a, a completely comfortable, we could be lying on our bed and it's three in the morning and all that's actually happening in that moment is the, bo the body's lying on a really comfortable mattress, a head on a soft pillow, um, you know, warm doona. There is no stressor, there is no shark in the room, but we're activating the fight or flight response based on what the mind's imagining and projecting about the future or reliving from the past. And that, that has very unhelpful effects on the body, especially if we're doing it again and again and again. So this default mode is like often a dream world and we don't realise it. Now, mind you, these imagination circuits are very useful because mm. when you sit down and you want to do something creative, work through a problem, brainstorm something, you use these circuits. But when we do it in a mindful way, the executive functioning, the decision-making circuits are kind of, you've got that top-down awareness. So you're able to distinguish between imagination and reality, um, but you're also able to sift the really useful thoughts from the less useful ones. And that's a really helpful thing to do. So it's not like this default mode is, is bad and so on, but it, it's, it's not so useful if it becomes the master rather than a faithful servant, as I sometimes say. And, mm. um, and that's what's often happening in states like depression, anxiety, etc. that these default circuits are just running by themselves and a person's got no way of re-engaging back with present moment reality, mm. stepping out of the internal rumination and worry, etc. Right. So the helpful daydreaming is when I'm like, I've got a difficult problem that I need to solve or a solution or something creative I need to come up with. I'm going to go for a walk and just let my mind wander and see what if I can come up with something to in a way to solve this this challenge, this I need to come up with a, a solution for something at work. And that's sort of a useful, productive way to do it. But when, like you said, um, intrusively a fear about the future or a, a panic about the past is sort of overriding. It's, it's not really a problem-solving thing. It's more a, just a rumination. Yeah, rumination and worry are two forms of default mental activity. For me, focus is something we need to constantly adjust so that we see the whole picture Otherwise, regardless of how your focus setting is set, you may be focused on a part of the picture, but not the whole thing. Timber Hawkeye is an international public speaker and best-selling author of Buddhist Boot Camp. He agrees that if we try to focus on too many things at once, we lose sight of what's important. Sometimes, he says, we can spend too much time focusing on the wrong thing. My teacher taught me single-pointed mindfulness and in the in in an age where we are encouraged to multitask he encouraged me to single task and i had to learn how to because that was such a foreign concept because we you know so he would constantly ask me what are you focused on what are you focused on cuz like if if i'm chopping carrots like chop carrots you know don't don't think about what's the next assignment. Um, and I'm, I'm going to f finally answer your question with this story about the, the kid who wanted to study to be a great karate master. And so he traveled to find the, the, the most notorious one in Japan and asked him, how long will I need to study 
in order to be the best karateka in the land? And the master said, 10 years. And he said, well, what if I study and focus twice as hard as all the other students? And the master said, 20 years. And he goes, wait a minute, why, why is it that when I focus and I work twice as hard, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take me twice as long? And he said, because when you have one eye on the future, you have one less eye on the present moment. Mm. So that to me, in, in a story form, really mm. explains focus is we lose sight of things if we're scattered and we need to just be present. There's a lot of conversation about focus and attention at the moment. Um, Why do you think that is? So we were raised, you know, going to school and we looked at a blackboard and the teachers would write, you know, with chalk and we would take notes. And we learned that way. We learned from reading and writing and having conversation. And so our ability to absorb information was very different. Um, It was it was very different soil in which to plant seeds. And now, uh, not just kids, but all of us are exposed to audio, video. You know, there's a lot of stimulation from YouTube and, and TikTok and Instagram and all of that. And so we, we are absorbing a lot more information. You know, and I read somewhere recently that generally the population now reads more than any generation before us. And that to me is mind-blowing because, you know, I work in the, the book industry and I'm like, no, people aren't. It's not that we read more books, but we read text messages, we read emails, we read everything online. We're constantly reading. So we're reading more, but the attention span is a lot shorter. So does the hectic pace and all the distractions in the modern world make it harder to remain present? Is our ability to pay attention really collapsing? Here's Craig Hassad. Is focus under assault in our modern age or actually is our focus as divided as it's ever been? Look, it'd be hard to say because we don't have data from decades ago, let alone hundreds of years ago. The indicators are that attention spans are dropping. Hmm. Uh, Tech companies have been following this sort of stuff for a few decades and every time they measure it, they notice human attention spans have been dropping, probably because of the overuse and misuse of technology. Screen time uh, is not good for children's attention spans. Um, Certain kinds of screen time, particularly unhelpful. Um, The developing child's brain needs interaction with the sensory world. So virtual play or playing a game like soccer on a screen uses a minuscule amount of the brain's capacity compared to actually getting out Mm. on the grass and kicking a soccer ball around with a dozen other people. So, so attention spans by any measure, we certainly uh, is indicated by the research, have been dropping over recent years. Um, Microsoft, one report from Canada suggested the average human attention spans about eight seconds these days. Mm. Um, so this sort of overload of notifications, not just on the computer, but on your smartphone that's sitting on the desk and your, your watch. smartwatch is, yeah. going, you know. So this is wrenching the attention all over the place. Just having a smartphone, even if it's off and face down on the desk, is enough to impair the performance of university students in every way they could measure it. And you know, so it doesn't even have to go off. It's just that it's there. The mind keeps going to it. So that's one of the main distractors, I think, these days in the pace of modern life. And 
I think there are more demands on our attention uh, every day. Professor Mark Belgrove is the Director of Research at the Monash University Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health and a Professor in Cognitive Neuroscience in the School of Psychological Sciences. He believes that although we're more distracted than ever before, this doesn't necessarily mean our attention spans are getting shorter in an evolutionary sense. And certainly with the... uh, the emergence of digital technologies, uh, you know, iPhones, iPads, etc., which you know weren't there previously. Uh, I think folks have more demands on their attention, uh, and attention is ultimately a limited resource, uh, and so you can't you can only split and divide it so many ways. Uh, and I think when there are more demands on uh, one's attention, uh, that can naturally make people feel like their attentional capacity has diminished. Everyone's talking about a lack of focus. Do you think things have changed with the way humans are focusing at the moment? Look, I, I doubt it, to be honest, in, in lots of ways. Uh, you know, as I said, attention is a, a limited capacity resource. There's only so many things that our brain can process at any one point in time. Uh, and I don't see any reason why that has particularly changed more recently. I think what has changed is the demands on our attention. So if you imagine a child who is on a phone or on an iPad and has a parent talking to them, uh, the iPad or the game or whatever they're engaged in is highly uh, engaging, highly arousing, uh, stimulating uh, their sensory system, uh, you know, in, in a big way. Uh, And under those circumstances, it is very hard to disengage from that attention-grabbing, attention-capturing stimulation and uh, direct your attention to something else, whether it be mum saying dinner's ready or uh, et cetera. So uh, I think all those things and the demands on our kids and demands on adults, uh, you know, and you you need to see adults focusing on their phone all the time uh, as well, including myself. Uh, I think those demands have increased, definitely. So uh, the demands have increased but our focus has not lessened at all. It's just there's more pulls on it. Yeah, that, that would be my – I haven't seen any data to demonstrate that our actual attentional capacity, our attentional span uh, has decreased uh, over the, you know, the last 10 years and I don't see any reason to expect that it would have, uh, you know, particularly not in evolutionary terms, that's not likely to have occurred uh, in such a rapid frame. So, But I think what has happened is the demands on our attention uh, uh, have increased. Our attention is pulled this way, that way, uh, all through the day, often all through the night, even if people are leaving their phones next to their, <laughs> next to their beds, for example. This concept that your attention is, our attention has got worse, is probably unfounded. Dr. Hannah Kirk is a developmental psychologist based at the Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health. She agrees that despite us being confronted with more distractions in our life, it doesn't mean our attentional span has decreased. We definitely have more distraction in our life and we can feel like our attention is being grabbed and challenged to to focus on the thing that you want to focus on. But whether we're actually declining in terms of our attention capacity is unlikely. Um, In terms of digital tech, I think often it gets lumped together. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you were saying, sometimes we can use digital tech in a positive way and sometimes it can be really challenging for our attention and for other things for our mental health Mm -hmm. as well. 
Not all blame, Dr Kirk says, should be placed on digital technology. However, it's the way we use digital tech that's the problem. There's actually a researcher in the UK who's coined this term of a digital diet. Mm. And it's about thinking about how we consume digital technology in the same way that we think about the foods that we eat. So most of the research is focused on the amount of time that we spend on digital tech. And unfortunately, that's kind of generalized a lot of the nuances around digital tech. Um, and in terms of the digital diet, it's about focusing things on the type of technology that you're using. In the same way as the type of food that we eat, some foods are more beneficial for us, some foods are not so beneficial for us. And we're mindful of that in how we approach our you know, food diet. Mm. So we kind of need to be mindful of that in terms of our digital diet. And it's also really important to think about context as well. So in the same way as our diet, you know, if we're eating like four real high energy, high fat um, nutrition bars at home because we're bored, that's very different to if you're eating them because you're completing a marathon. Mm. And the same with digital technology. So why are you using that type of digital technology? Is it to help you perform better or is it for a different reason? And that's, it definitely makes the questions that we have to answer as researchers harder, but it's really important to think about those different nuances in terms of digital tech and the impact that it has on our attention. The number of prescriptions for ADHD drugs has almost doubled in eight years from around 529,000 per year in 2013 to 926. Some experts believe that by the age of 10, kids with ADHD will have absorbed around 20,000 more negative messages about themselves than their One condition that has been in the media a great deal lately is Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD. Professor Mark Belgrove has been studying the disorder for over 20 years. Uh, so ADHD is a neurodevelopmental condition. Uh, which means it starts early in life uh, and it's defined actually by three symptom domains. One is uh, inattention, so problems maintaining focus, problems sustaining attention, increased distractibility. Uh, the other two domains are hyperactivity, uh, so constantly on the go as if driven by a motor, and impulsivity, so having trouble controlling one's actions, uh, one's behaviour, even one's thoughts. And the essential feature of ADHD, uh, like all diagnoses that we have in the, the mental realm, is that the condition has to be impairing. Uh, so it's not just one is a little bit inattentive or a little bit distractible. These are impairments that actually uh, have a negative consequence on the individual, whether it be a child or an adult, uh, and uh, in multiple domains. So not just at home, has to be at school, at home, and perhaps in other social settings as well. So it's a fairly profound uh, impairment that has a functional effect mm. on the person's life. How common is ADHD in the population? Uh, look, it's it's very common. It's probably the most prevalent childhood uh, condition, a neurodevelopmental condition. We think uh, in Australia there are probably between 850,000 and a million uh, people with oh, ADHD. Wow. Okay. Uh, the prevalence is higher in kids than in adults. Uh, in adults, we think it's probably around one and a half to two percent of people uh, have ADHD, um, and roughly equal numbers of men and women in adulthood. Whereas in childhood, the, the balance is uh, towards more boys uh, having a diagnosis of ADHD. 
And yeah, so it's a very common condition. Right, and if you say that it's more common in children than adults, does that mean people can grow out of it? Yeah, so look, there's uh, certainly there are people with ADHD uh, whose symptoms will remit, uh, so they might no longer meet diagnostic threshold in adulthood, uh, but for a lot of people their symptoms will be lifelong. Uh, and the condition will be lifelong. Uh, we probably think of maybe about 60% of folks will carry their symptoms into adulthood. Uh, sometimes the presentation will change uh, as folks age, so they become less hyperactive, less impulsive, and perhaps more uh, the inattentive symptoms will predominate. They'll have problems with organisation, problems with planning, sort of you know, problems with juggling the, the day-to-day uh, challenges of life, etc. Let's hear from Dr. Hannah Kirk. So I think definitely there's been an increase in referrals, particularly for adult ADHD. Whether or not that kind of ticks over into increased diagnosis is yet to be seen. But I think that's mainly due to increased awareness, awareness of ADHD. Um, and I think also the pandemic has had a, a big role to play in that as well. The Often um, ADHD gets picked up when children start school. So it's a time when uh, the demands that are placed on them can be greater. And I think for adults, the pandemic often meant that people were working from home. Um, They didn't potentially have the structure that they would typically have of a work day. And they had competing demands as well, maybe, you know, childcare, as well as trying to complete their tasks and managing the home. So I think there's a lot of factors that might have increased their capacity to be able to do things and those symptoms might have then become more more present for them. Here's Professor Mark Belgrove again. Um, so we know that ADHD is genetic, that it runs in families, that it is what's known as heritable. Uh, and we know this from a whole heap of studies around the world, including Australia. Some early work uh, done in Australia showed that ADHD was highly heritable trait. Uh, And I think it's really, really important for the community to know this because we have a lot of often negativity about ADHD. People uh, often will say it's a made-up condition, didn't exist years ago, et cetera, et cetera. But the heritability estimates for ADHD are really on a par with other major uh, mental conditions like whether it be schizophrenia uh, or autism. Uh, So I think it's really important Uh, that we acknowledge that it is uh, a biologically driven uh, genetic condition. Even from those who don't suffer from ADHD, there seems to be an acknowledgement from our experts that our attention is being challenged by increasing distractions in our daily life. So what's at stake for us as individuals if we can't find the ability to focus? Here's a final word from the mindfulness expert, Professor Craig Hassad. We need mental downtime. Uh, to reduce the cognitive or mental load because if we're never doing that, it's like you, know, you go in and you write on a whiteboard in a, in a classroom and the next person comes in and writes on the whiteboard and then the next person. All of a sudden the whiteboard's a total mess of stuff everywhere and we never think, well, wait a sec, time to just get a, one of those whiteboard dust and actually just clean the whiteboard. So clear it again so that it's ready to take new impressions. So if we're never reducing that mental load, then the brain becomes very, um, I don't know, overloaded, but it impairs our ability to function well, impairs decision-making, it impairs creativity. Um, It's not helpful. 
Um, and so one of the interesting areas of research is to show that actually when we reduce mental load, we improve decision-making. When we reduce mental load, we improve creativity. That's why a lot of places, you know, that really value innovation and creativity actually have meditation spaces, actually encourage employees to have some downtime because they know that people are more creative when they do that. It's true. We need to find downtime to reduce our mental load and improve our concentration, decision-making and creativity. In our next episode, I speak to our experts about some of the ways we can help improve our focus and attention. We'll also discuss some of the research into better ways to treat ADHD and, somewhat ironically, it could be through digital technology. So thanks for paying attention. Join us for part two on Focus next time on What Happens Next. 